We're in Psalm chapter number 42. I also appreciate everybody who took over for us while we were gone last week, filled in all the, the spots that were left empty. I appreciate all of that. It's nice to be able to go away and not have to worry about things and know that the church is in good hands. I appreciate everybody who picked up the slack while we were gone. Psalm chapter number 42 and actually 43. Uh, we're going to read these two short psalms because they are definitely linked together. So Psalm chapter number 42 and 43. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I appear, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the multitude of pray, joy and with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, from the Hermites and the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy, unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Almost never do I set out to preach a series of messages. Every now and then the Lord will lead me in that direction, but it's not anything I ever set out to do. This morning has the unique um, circumstance of potentially creating a new series and continuing an old series. Two weeks ago, I preached a message entitled, David Asks a Good Question, Why Do the Heathen Rage? Although David did not write this particular psalm, the message could have easily been called this morning, The Psalmist Asks Another Good Question, Why Art Thou Cast Down, O My Soul? This would be the potential start of a series of loosely connected messages. 
but I think that the message would be better served by linking it with a message that's kind of an ongoing series already, a sort of kind of series, I guess it would be called. The title of this morning's message, Our Plain, Simple Man Finds Hope. Our Plain, Simple Man Finds Hope. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the privilege of being here. We have sung your songs, praises to your name. We have read your word. We have contemplated truth. And now we come for the preaching of your word, and we ask, fully expecting your spirit to teach us. How can we expect to understand anything of this book if your spirit does not lead us into the truth that we need? And Father, all around this room, in every heart, there is a need. It's a need specific to that heart. And Father, it needs to be met. And we cannot meet it, but we know that you can. And so we come in faith, expecting you to do a work that only you can do, which is meet the need of every heart, right where it's at this morning. I ask that no one would be overlooked, that each person would find truth being taught to them by your Spirit. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, who purchased these things for us already. Amen. We live in a troubled world. Simple statement, is it not? We live in a troubled world. If our forefathers would have heard me make that statement, they would have said something like, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Generations down the line, their younger great-great-great-great-great-grandkids, the teenagers of about 15 years ago, would have said, if I said that statement to them, thank you, Captain Obvious. They are both saying the same thing. One is a little less eloquent, but they're both saying the exact same thing. That is so obvious, it doesn't even need to be stated. It's like saying, saying that we live in a troubled world is like saying that the sky is blue, the grass is green, and the water is wet. Nobody has to tell you those things. You can see it for yourself. It is an obvious fact. We live in a troubled world. It doesn't matter where you look. There's trouble wherever. Trouble that has already started, trouble that is starting, and trouble that will be started. We live in a troubled world. You see it when you walk down the street. You see it on TV. You hear it on the radio. You read it in newspapers and on the internet. You experience it in your day-to-day -day life. We live in a troubled world. It is our tendency to look at our current situation, our existence, and believe that our times are the worst of times, the toughest of times. But my friend, it just isn't so. We live on a planet that has a long history of trouble. We were on vacation this week. I think this is funny. We were on vacation this week. And when we go on vacation, this is the time when I live 
the easy life. It's when I live the uncomplicated life. It is the time when I do absolutely nothing and try to think absolutely nothing. I try to put all of everything aside and just take it easy. Okay, you understand that. And as I was reviewing, I was preparing for this message, I was reviewing my week. And how I was confronted just this week, on my, on my week off, of the trouble of the history of the world. We went to a place called Wonderworks. Was that what it's called? It's an upside-down house in Branson. It's kind of an interesting place, kind of like our science center. And there I was confronted with a display of over the last 50-ish years of all the havoc and chaos and casualties of hurricanes and tornadoes. Keep calm, Adam. Keep calm. It's all right. <laughs> Trouble in the world. If Think about the, the, these people who, these catastrophic tornadoes and died, their families died in hurricanes and so forth. So I'm confronted with that as I'm taking it easy. At the same time, I was reading through one of my favorite books. It's called The Little Woman. It's about the missionary Gladys Aylward. She was a missionary in China. And if I'm stepping backwards in history from 50 years ago, now we're to uh, the communist China of about 70 years ago, where they slaughtered 500 college students in, in front of each other for naming the name of Christ. And before that, she had lived through the Japanese uh, invasion of China. And the atrocities and the difficulties of that situation is not even really capable of being mentioned in a public environment. It was so terrible. It's trouble in the world. I went to a, a, a flea market, and we're looking around, and I bought a World War I gas mask. Think about the guys who wore that thing when gas, nerve gas, chemical warfare gets its early start. I turn on the television set. Well, I know I was reading a book about the Old West. And where a time, if you don't know anything about that, a time when basically maybe almost half of the United States, the only law there was what law that you could enforce yourself. I turn on the television, going back, and I, or no, I was watching on the internet, a, the Masada, the battle of the Jewish revolt, and how these people, thousands of people, had died in this revolt, and the last of them killed themselves on the mountain of Masada so that they would not fall into the Roman hands. The Roman soldiers there, you know, they're the bad guys, but here these guys who, they don't have any control of what's going on, had not seen their families in over seven years. They wanted to go home, and they're stuck there in this siege. If you go back before that time, I was watching this on television, finally. I was watching this. These soldiers, you know, you watch these documentaries or movies or whatever, and the main characters don't normally get killed. And all these side characters get killed, but you know all those side characters had families. All those side characters that you're watching that don't really mean anything to the story, they had mothers and fathers. They had wives and kids. And what are they doing fighting there? They're fighting and they're, they're there because their ruler is either greedy or his, he's been offended by somebody and now they're losing their life for this guy. 
What am I trying to tell you? In my relaxed, easy, forget the world kind of life of last week, I was confronted over and over and over again with the fact that this is a troubled world. And it always has been. And it's not, today isn't any worse than anything else we have experienced. There's been a lot of bad days. It is a troubled world that we live in. Turn too many pages here. The world is troubled. We'll call that my first point. We live in a troubled world. Number two, we have a tendency to despair. We have a tendency to, to despair. To despair is to be without hope. You know our minds are pretty good at adding machines. It doesn't take our minds very long to look at a situation, to calculate uh, all that's going on and all the situations and to calculate the results. It we calculate the trouble that we're facing and the problems we're facing. We added all what we're able to accomplish with ourselves and we come to a conclusion. Generally, that leads us to despair. See if I can get, to get a handle on this. I don't know how much you know about boxing, but most of you will know this. In the corner, there's a guy who's called the fight manager. Okay, he's there. He's watching the fight between two fighters. As he's watching this fight, he's watching the other fighter and how, what he's able to do. And he's watching his own fighter, and he knows his capabilities. And as the fight progresses, he realizes, his mind is calculating, what this guy is able to do to my guy, there is no way we can win. And my guy is going to be taking all this abuse for no purpose. And at this moment, when he, he calculates that, he decides, let your mind think without answering it, he decides, we use this phrase all the time, to do what? He decides to throw in the towel. What does that mean? What it means is, I don't care what we do here, this isn't going to turn out well, and so we're over, we're, we despair, we're hopeless here, there's no way to win, so we throw in the towel. We all understand that in boxing terms, but let me ask you this question. How many here will admit in the last several weeks or months that you have felt like throwing in the towel. <laughs> now, I never say that. I always say to Carol, you know, I think I'm going to run away from home. <laughs> and then she ruins the whole thing by saying, if you go, you got to take me with you. <laughs> that was the whole point. Um, no. <laughs> She's already got my bags packed. Uh, We come to that conclusion, do we not? We come to the point like, I just don't, I know what I'm capable of doing, I see what's in front of me, and you know what? This is just so difficult. I think I'd just like to throw in the towel. Because not only do we live in a troubled world, but we have a tendency to despair. 
on the way down to Branson and back, I was listening to uh, John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress. I've got it on CD. Some guys from Bob Jones made it. Uh, it's really a pretty decent thing. If you've never read the book or not listened to it, I'll be willing to loan you the CDs. It's really kind of an interesting listen to. It's a progression of the Christian life. A guy gets saved. It's all a, it's all a story for him, but he gets saved and he's going through life. His name is Christian. But in the last half of the book, he and a guy named Hopeful wander off the path and they get captured and put into the castle, into Doubting Castle by the giant called Despair. And so they're in this giant, they're captured by this giant called Despair in Doubting Castle. And the giant's wife is continually telling the giant, go in there and beat them and make it look like they have no chance of escape. Cause them to have no hope whatsoever so that they'll do away with themselves. So they'll throw in the towel. Bunyan writes this because it is very true. Even God's people sometimes get wander off the path and get caught in this doubting castle by the giant despair. We live in a troubled world and we have a tendency to despair. Number three, in despair, we often grasp at straws. In despair, we often grasp at straws. I think you, how many understand that statement, that phrase, grasping at straws? What it means, I was trying to decide how to explain this. What it means is you're trying to get a hold, you're, you're trying anything. You know that it won't work. There's no way in the world that this will work, but you're trying to make, you're hoping that it'll work, but you know that it's not going to. You're grasping at straws. Um, it means to put your hope in something that has no chance of helping. That's a better way to say it. It, it means to put your, chan, your hope in something that has no chance of helping, to grasp at straws. You know, within us, even though we despair, we have a desire to live. We have a desire to go on. We have a desire, we've got to keep moving forward. We have a tendency to despair, but within, we want to fight to continue to hope. To have no light at the end of the tunnel is to despair. So we'll grasp at whatever light there is. Consider. A man in economic difficulties. His bills are piling up and he has no way of paying all of these bills. So he gets a few dollars and what will he do with those few dollars? He will buy a lottery ticket. We, we laugh. We were in that House of Wonders thing. They had a tube. It was about five feet long. It was about that big around. It was clear plastic. And in that tube was one million black little beads. And they had taken one yellow bead and put it in the one million black beads. And this thing, you could spin it. And on the wall, it was talking about the lottery. And your odds of finding that one yellow bead inside that, you'd have to have 29 more tubes with still only one yellow bead in order to be to win the lottery. And so, you know me, I want to see. So I spent, I must have spun that thing for five minutes, <laughs> hoping to find my yellow bead. If I'd have won that, I'd have went and bought a lottery. No, <laughs> 
Here a man who is in terrible economic circumstances will go do this. What is he doing? He's grasping at straws. Because it's, it's, he's grasping at straws on two levels. One, the fact that he's going to win the lottery, he has a 1 in 29 million chance. Okay, not only does he have to find that bead, it's actually got to be the one that falls out to his, into his hand. Okay, it's an impossibility. And two, he's grasping at straws because he believes that that will actually help him. Now, if you think that winning the lottery will actually help you in any way, shape, or form, you have not done any research at all on this. Someday when you don't have anything else to do, type in happiness and the lottery. And you will find that there are no such things. Unhappiness and the lottery are linked like this. But a man who is in difficult economic circumstances, he'll grasp at straws and he'll throw his last dollar trying to hope to win the lottery. He's grasping at straws. We do this when we're in desperation. We don't do this only in economics. You know, they do, lots of people do this in religion. A person sees his own life. He realizes that heaven is perfect. He realizes that he is not. He realizes that if he somehow got to heaven, he wouldn't fit in because it's perfect and he's not, and this is not going to work. And he knows that God is no way, shape, or form going to let him in. So he decides he's got to do something about this. So he starts doing something in desperation. He starts grasping at straws. And the way what this has been over the, down through history is we shake our heads at it thinking, what in the world are these people thinking? They sell indulgences. You can pay the church money before you sin so that you have a free pass on the sin when you do it. You think, who thought that up? Some guy who wanted some money, that's who, wanted, who thought that up. You think, now who would fall for that? But they, they built most of the big cathedrals over there with that money. People who thought, hey, I'll just buy my sin ahead of time. I'll pay God off with some dollars so I can do my own sin. There was one place where people were climbing on their knees up these stairs, a whole bunch of stairs. I can't remember how many they were. They would climb on their knees up to the top to, to pay for their sin. They would climb on these knees on, their, on the stairs till their knees were bloody. And when you got to the top, you kissed the, the ring finger on this statue. And this was supposed to do something for your sin. You say, who would fall for that? Who would be so desperate that they would do that? So many people did it that they by kissing it, they removed the finger off of the hand. It wore it down, and they had to switch hands, so he'd kiss the other hand. That's how many people did it. Why? Because men are desperate, and when they're desperate, they will grasp at straws. There has been so much religious straw grasping. It's almost endless. The sprinkling of babies, the drinking of holy water, the worshiping of devils, even human sacrifice. People in despair often grasp at straws. We live in a troubled world. The tendency is to despair. And in people in despair often grasp at straws. Number four, there is true hope. There is true hope. 
If you've been with us for any length of time, when I've taught on this particular series, it's been off and on about once a month, actually. We've been talking about a plain, simple man. A man living on a deserted island. He's just not an educated man. He's not some super smart, wealthy guy or anything. He's just a plain, simple guy living on a deserted island. What would he believe if the Bible washed up on shore and he read it and nobody was telling him what it said, he just read it for himself, what would he figure out? What would our plain, simple man think about the world and about hope before he picked up the book? You know what he'd think? The same three points we just gave. If you say, I don't know about that, you don't know about that because you've never been living on a deserted island all by yourself. And the only time you've ever thought about living on a deserted island was when the kids were running around the house like wild Indians and the bills were piling up and you just thought, man, if I could just go away. But if you would actually do the research and do any deep thinking at all about what it would be like to live on a deserted island all by your lonesome, I wouldn't have to explain it to you. You'd find out that he would know this is a troubled world and he would lead to despair and he would grasp at straws. If you don't believe that, you can see me afterwards and I'll explain that to you. That's what he would know before he picked up the book. When he picked up the book, what would he know? He would know right off the bat that what he was thinking originally was actually actual. It was the truth. He would find in the book of Genesis, man, there's a lot of trouble in the world. As he continued reading, he would find out that God is holy and that he has no chance of meeting God on a level playing field. There's no way that he could get to God. He would know that he is in serious trouble. But in the reading, he would find out that there is actually true hope. Our plain, simple man, when he used the word hope before, would use it in the, the definition of it would be wishful thinking. He would hope that something would take place. He would hope that this would be good. He would hope, he would wishfully think, he would hope that all would go well and work out, meaning this is the way he wishes it would be. But as he opened up the book, the Bible, he would find that hope in the Bible is something totally different. Bible hope isn't wishful thinking whatsoever. It is confident expectation. When he opened up the book, he would find that there is true hope. Confident expectation. It isn't a 29 million to one shot, but a sure thing. There is true hope. This is what our plain, simple man would find in the scriptures. Number five, our plain, simple man would find that this hope is found in Jesus Christ and the word of God. He would find that this hope, this true hope, is found in Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Our plain, simple man, when he looks at the world, would realize that the problems that he's facing and what he is able to do with these problems 
is, there's nothing he can do. There's no way that he can overcome. And what he comes up with, the fact is, I'm going to have to throw in the towel. I cannot do, I cannot be what I need to be here. I'm going to have to throw in the towel. But since that's so desperate, he doesn't do that. He grasps at straws. But when he comes to the scriptures, he finds there's true hope in Jesus Christ. He isn't told to look at his problems through his own ability. He is told to look at his problems through Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Have you realized that never in the Scripture are you told to put confidence in yourself, in your ability, in your strength? You're never told to do that. You are constantly told to look to Jesus Christ. Over and over again, we are told, Hope thou in God. Hope in the Lord. Thou art, talking about God, my hope. My hope is in thee. We are told over and over again, Hope in thy judgment. Hope in thy word. We are not intended. God never intended. And hope is not found in looking at your own self and figuring out how you're going to solve the problem in your own strength. That only leads to despair. But our plain, simple man opens up the book and finds out he's not supposed to look at his own strength. He finds hope in the person of Jesus Christ and his word. When you look at Christ and his word, you find confident expectations. Number six, this hope covers every aspect of life. This hope that's in Christ covers every aspect of life. And we're going to run through these, this very quickly here. Try to stick with me as I'm going to kind of speed through this. In Jesus Christ, our plain, simple man finds hope. He finds the hope of heaven. For many of this is, is common knowledge, but let me walk you through this. In Jesus Christ, our plain, simple man finds the hope of heaven. A person knows, if they know themselves at all, that they have done things they should never have done. They look back on their life and say, that was a mistake, that should not have been done by me. They realize that, okay, if heaven is a perfect place, I cannot match that. So they try to improve themselves. They try to tip the scale. So they start trying to do good things or they try to do something to improve themselves. Only they find that in the doing... Their doing always falls short. It should have been done a little bit better. I didn't quite. And so they're falling behind even as they're trying to catch up. And it doesn't take very long to realize this is not going to work. When a person comes to that, that spot, realizing this is not going to work, either they just throw it all off and say, I'm just going to live wild as I can live and let it all go out, whatever it happens to be at the end. Or they continue to grasp at straws, doing these ridiculous things that any thinking person would say, that is not going to work. Because to, to despair 
and just throw it all away and say, I'm just going to live however because there's no end to this that can turn out right is despair. And they wouldn't want to do that. So they just continue grasping at straws. But a person who comes to Christ, our plain, simple man finds in the scripture the hope that he's looking for. For he finds that God the Father sent God the Son. And God the Son came and lived on this planet and never sinned at all. He took our sin upon him and died on a cross. He did not die for his own sin. He died for the sins of the world. And they put him in a grave. And three days later he came out of that grave, risen from the dead. Why? Because God the Father saw the, the punishment that Jesus Christ, his son, had taken and was satisfied. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ died for my sin. Christ died for your sin. And when he came out of the grave, he was proving to you and to everybody that that sin was paid for. And in that death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel, our poor, plain, simple man finds hope. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And our plain, simple man finds the hope of heaven. Not, oh, I sure wish I could go. Let me take this 29 million to one shot. But a confident expectation. This is a sure thing. He finds his hope of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 12, may describe some of you today. It says they were strangers from the covenants and, the, and promises. It says they, have, they were having no hope, and they were without God in the world, or they were living in this world without God. If that's you today, may I plead with you to come to Jesus Christ? There is true hope. It's not some wishful thinking. It's not some long shot. It is a confident expectation in what Jesus Christ already did for you. God the Father has already ruled on this. It is a sure thing. Would you not come to Christ today? I would encourage you to do that. If you have not found your hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Our plain, simple man doesn't find just hope for heaven in eternity, but he also finds his hope for his current situation. For many of you, you've already got the hope of heaven is dealt with. But what about your current situation? Our plain, simple man reading the Bible will find hope for his current situation. What are you facing right now? Everybody in this room is facing something at this moment. It may not be the biggest thing you've ever faced, or maybe it is the biggest thing you've ever faced, but you're facing something. Truth be told, whatever it is you're facing, you're not smart enough to face it. Because 
its fingers, whatever you're facing, its fingers go farther out than what you think. The problem is deeper than what you're expecting. The effect is going to last longer than you're expecting it to last. There is lots of ins and outs of this that you are totally unaware of. And the fact of the matter is, even if you knew the answer, which you probably couldn't come up with anyway, if you knew the answer, you wouldn't have the power to make it happen. That's the reality. Whether you're facing something little or something big, because who can tell the difference these days? How do you know what in your life is a big thing and a little thing? Some of the big stuff doesn't turn out to be big, and some of the little stuff ends up being catastrophic. And none of us in this room are smart enough to figure this out. This leads to desperation. Because when you look at your problems and you look at your hands, it's time to throw in the towel. There's nothing I can do here. I'm not, this isn't going to turn out. I can't make this come out right. But our plain, simple man opens up the book and finds hope. Because I'm telling you right now, whatever you're facing, there is a promise in the book that deals with it. There is hope in Jesus Christ and his word. Whatever you're facing at this moment, it doesn't matter what it is. There is a promise in this book. What situation can you find that there's not a promise from God's word that will cover? What decision do you have to make that he's not capable of showing you the way? What step do you have to take that he is not capable of directing you? What trouble do you have that his love is not able to sustain you? My friends, life is full of trouble. And you're facing some of it at this moment. Don't despair. Don't grasp at straws. You have hope in Jesus Christ. And you can face whatever you're facing today with confident expectation. Why? Because hope is found in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, our plain, simple man finds the hope of heaven. And he also finds hope in his current situation. And number three, Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ, our plain, simple man finds hope for a life that counts. He finds hope for a life that counts. Let me see if I can't explain this to you very quickly here. I want to be open and candid and plain speaking here. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. Suppose you're in the sixth grade. Okay, this is kind of a silly illustration, but stick with me here. Suppose you're in the sixth grade, and your mom says to you, tomorrow we're going to the amusement park. All right, things are looking up. She's, you say, what are we doing today, mom? She says, we have to stay here in the house. Okay. But what you know, and she knows, is that the house is filled with spiders that bite. So, the spider comes and bites you, and it hurts. And your mom comes over to you, she kills the spider, she gives you some ibuprofen, and she kisses you on the forehead like moms do. And you say, thanks, mom. Another spider bites you, and it hurts. And so, she kills that spider, she kisses you on the forehead, and she gives you some more ibuprofen. The third time 
the spider bites you and she kisses you on the forehead and you say, Mom, why are we in this house? Wouldn't that be a legitimate question? And your mom says, no, if she has a legitimate reason why you're in the house, it's a legitimate reason. But if your mom says, I don't know, then you say, new plan. Let's skip today. Let's go to tomorrow. Right? Isn't that legitimate? Let's just skip all this and go straight to tomorrow because this isn't, there's no purpose in all of this. Now, I think you can connect the dots here. We are promised of we have the promise of the hope of heaven. Jesus Christ provides that. So tomorrow is taken care of. And today, in our difficulties, we have the Lord who defends us, who protects us, who heals us, who loves us. So through every difficulty, we have that. But isn't it a legitimate question to say, why? Why do I have to get, keep getting hit on the head here? What is the purpose of all this? Why do I keep having to face all of this trouble? What is the reason here? Why can't we just skip to tomorrow? Do you understand the question? Do you understand this? If the answer to that question is anything that I personally can do, You're here so that you can make a living. You're here so that you can make a name for yourself. You're here so that you can accomplish X, Y, or Z thing. You're here so that you can be famous, so that you can be rich, so you can... Now, if those are the reasons, they're not legitimate reasons. Because, let me give you one name here. Solomon. Now, think about how you could ever outdo Solomon in any way, shape, or form. Powerful ruler, rich beyond anything anybody has ever known, accomplished in all kinds of things, nobody smarter than him, all of this stuff, all this stuff. And what does Solomon say about his entire life when he gets it all said and done? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, meaning that was a worthless waste of my time. So, yes, it's wonderful to have the hope of heaven. We're so thankful for that. And yes, it's nice that God is here and helping us through these things. But if the end result is vanity, vanity, then why? Isn't that a legitimate question? If the end result of your life is going to be, you look back on it and say, that was a total waste of my time, and what was the purpose? But in Jesus Christ, our plain, simple man finds the hope of a life that has value. Did you know that in Jesus Christ, your little life with no abilities, with falling short all the time, God can use that to bring honor and glory to his name? Did you know that in your little simple life that you have, God can accomplish eternal purposes 
Something that affects eternity. God can do that through you, and that's what he wants to do. And all of this trouble that we have to face in this life has a purpose because it's all being used. He wants to use it to bring honor to his name and to work through you. And our plain, simple man doesn't end up having to say, vanity, vanity, all this, yeah, I was taken care of, but this is a worthless waste of my time. We should have just skipped this and went right to heaven. He finds hope of a life that has value. Let's look at our verse here. Psalm 43, 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Why are you? Why are you this morning discouraged? Why are you ready to throw in the towel? Our plain, simple man finds hope. God did not intend for you to live a discouraged life, a life of despair or no value. In him, in Jesus Christ, you have hope. Let's pray.